Hey everyone, before jumping into the episode, I want to tell you what topics you can expect to hear about in this discussion. Today we are discussing eating disorders and self-harm, so please listen mindfully and just take care of yourself. All right, let's get talking. Hello, Blake. <laughs> hey, Mandolin. So, I'm excited. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I'm happy to. I'm excited to see what it <laughs> becomes. Was that a Spider-Man cup? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yes. So, for everybody listening, um, this is Slade. <laughs> we met uh, in eating disorder treatment at MANA Treatment, um, and that's about all I can say. So, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Slade Erickson. I am, as of right now, a freshman in college. I'm in my first year. I, um, <laughs> I'm looking to work in production. I love anything to do with cameras. And recently I've been learning more about social media and working with a print shop on their social media. And as Mandolin said, we met in eating disorder treatment. So obviously I had an eating disorder at some point. Um, and kind of the background on that is, um, freshman year, I, the first year of college in the middle of the pandemic and everything, I moved up to school um, and then for about a month, after about a month, it got really bad and I was really not doing well, um, had to move home. And then for about a month at home, we were looking for a treatment facility for an eating disorder and eventually found Nana and went through treatment with that. Um, my background with eating disorders is they kind of run in my family, um, both my mom, my mom's mom and some other sides of that family had struggles with the eating disorders and then um, yeah. Do you think when you first were going to go to treatment, was it your idea or was it family and friends like coming up to you and saying, hey, you think that you should do this or? Yeah, um, I think honestly, I, I mean, there might have been ideas for people who like had thought about it before. But by the time that like I came home and moved home, I was really pushing for it for myself. Like it wasn't like other people were taking me there. I think it was yeah. something where. I knew, I, I didn't know exactly what it needed to look like, but I knew that, like, I needed to have something change in my life. Otherwise, it wasn't going to, I was, wasn't going to enjoy it. Specifically, I definitely do want to talk about um, eating disorders in men and, like, societal expectations and beliefs that are placed on men with just mental health and eating disorders, obviously, specifically. So, do you personally have any type of opinions or beliefs around that based on your experiences? Yeah, um, I'll speak a little to the mental health stuff before the eating disorder stuff. I've been in therapy since middle school, um, and it's definitely been something that's helped me. And it's also something that, like, as a whole, not necessarily male versus female, but societally as a whole, therapy is not really talked about. And it's also not really, like, mm -hmm. I, I've become a huge proponent of it, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I encourage just about anyone who thinks they could benefit from it to go and at least try it. Um, uh, but I think definitely as far as eating disorders go, it's definitely a female-centered aspect of mental health. Um, just as the way it's fallen societally and culturally, especially with the, I think there's a lot more dialogue and pressure around women to look a certain way or to eat a certain way or do something. I think that... Um, the spotlight tends to fall away from men on that, which I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily something where like 
men are shamed inherently for that. I think it's just something where the spotlight does fall a bit more on women and there's less dialogue and learning around male versions of it. Um, and that kind of roots in like a lot of male attitudes, including mine are like, Hey, like I'm actually a lot of people's attitudes, um, are like, Hey, like I'm going to handle this myself. Like no one needs to know about this. Like I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so honestly, I think some of it, a lot of it is different versions of society, different versions of interpretation. And I think just the way the spotlight has fallen onto more females for eating disorders. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think my opinion, like, I don't think it's necessarily, there's like a whole like big conspiracy or there's Mm -hmm. a whole, like, I just think the spotlight is more on women and the dialogue has shifted that way. And especially just because a lot more men are less likely to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Saying that you've been in therapy, um, or you've been going to see a therapist in one way or another since you said middle school? Yeah, it's been, jeez, it's been eighth grade, and it's probably going six, seven years. So what initial, what initially, um, got you to yeah, pursue um, doing therapy? <laughs> I had, um, uh, <laughs> it, it sounds funny to say it, but it really, the way it affected me wasn't funny I had a I came out of a bad relationship in middle school and just like it caused a lot of anxiety and the way everything fell apart and disseminated and suddenly I was very anxious all the time couldn't really handle day-to-day life and really so many facets of it just hyper worried all the time like anxiety like clinical anxiety yeah um so I ended up um after I think it was I think I got really stressed I could barely like do my sports my school like it was bad um and my I believe it was my pediatrician recommended um going to see a therapist and at that point I was young enough and like my mom was on board with it so it was kind of just like hey like let's try it and then on and off saw that same therapist throughout the rest of high school nice okay do you feel like um having your mom on board right away was really beneficial for you yeah, I I feel for everyone whose parents aren't on board with it. Um, it's not something I can relate to, and I think it was definitely a huge thing to have mm-hmm. that parental support of like, my mom has anxiety and like understood. Like she was like driving me there and here for it. Like I, I think that was very good because it took some of the battle away from me versus my parents and into like me versus yeah. like feeling my best. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Mana, you ended up in Mana um, later down the road. <laughs> um, yes. So, can you share a little bit about your your treatment process there and therapy yeah. and anything you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, um, and I'm comfortable sharing most things, so feel free to ask questions too. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so what happened with Mana is when I moved up to Nashville, I was looking for a new psychiatrist therapist, especially with how OCD. Um, and eating disorder had been true, like, presenting itself. So I, like, pinged around between a lot of stuff up there, which was all process in itself. Um, <laughs> and then, like, certain places wouldn't take, like, eating disorder tendencies and eating disorder places that didn't deal with OCD tendencies. Yeah. Um, so by the time I came home, um, we were kind of just, like, all out looking for a place. Well, we, I was not doing great and couldn't handle that. Um, mm-hmm. My parents were helping me look for a place aka my parents were looking for a place um (laughs) and a huge thing was trying to find in-person treatment with all the pandemic stuff going on 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a couple res options, not a lot of day options. So we stumbled on the mana and looked into that um, and got into there. And <laughs> I get a kick out of it. I started the week of Thanksgiving, um, which mm. for anyone with an eating disorder and who knows someone who does, Thanksgiving is one of the biggest food holidays. Yeah. Um, so starting eating disorder treatment <laughs> the week of Thanksgiving was certainly a, uh, we'll call it a trial by fire. Um, and I actually ended up, there was a Thanksgiving thing at Mana that Mana did, and yeah. then we had our normal Thanksgiving. So I had two Thanksgivings that week. It was, um, I get a chuckle out of that Murphy's Law, call it what you want. It's, <laughs> started with a bang. Um, and yeah. then throughout Mana, it was a lot of, the first bit is, uh, I believe it's called the refeeding process of just giving your body the nutrients and the space to heal before you can deal with the trauma associated with the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, some of it is sticking with a meal plan, like learning how much food that like my body needs and trusting in the dietitian at Mana and trusting in the team there that like, oh, they're not screwing me over. Um, yeah. Which is, and I think is something that like, I've really was like grateful for was that like I had almost just reached the end of my rope and I was just like ready to change um so there wasn't a lot of I wasn't fighting a lot of the change I can mm-hmm. I, I, I there was two times where I reverted to like really serious disordered behaviors and like um which not a bragging point I mean everyone yeah. <laughs> has their own time but it was just like I I didn't know where I was going, and I knew that I just had to trust going there, which was a huge thing of stress and anxiety and faith and just kind of, like, pushing into the unknown. Um, So I think that was a lot of my process of just pushing into the unknown and trusting the team there and trusting my therapist and the dietitian, and then just a ton of group therapy and learning from people and learning from people in serious conditions and people in other places just because there's so much to learn. Um... And it was so helpful just to be, it was probably 12 plus hours a week just next to people that, like, were in the boat, too. Um, Because I think there's, I always forget, sympathy and empathy. I think sympathy is, like, they feel for you. Empathy is they feel what you're feeling. And I think there's a ton of sympathy from support systems when you're struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think going into a place where you're surrounded by empathy and people who are struggling, too, is really helpful. And also just having people there to tell you what's up and, like, who I've been through, too. Because a lot of the staff had been through eating disorders, a lot of, like, so it's just they knew what was going on and they could, knew how to help. I definitely agree with the sympathy and empathy, especially just because when I started building my circle, I did find a lot of sympathy, which is, of course, still helpful. And you feel that support and you feel the encouragement. And also having a place to go to to receive empathy and getting both so important in the recovery process. Yeah, and I think something that's great about having the close circle of empathy or the close circle of people understand is that, like, when you have the sympathetic circle, like, it's great. Like, people mm-hmm. love you and they're here to support. The empathetic circle calls you out. Yes. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, because it, it happens to all of us. Like, you're in treatment and you're like, someone's like hey like how's your day and you're like oh like i skipped a meal yesterday and everyone's like why'd you do that instead of like sympathy's like oh like i'm i'm sorry like i i know that's really hard which is good like 
I'm not denying that that's good. Right. I think having the people that are close to you that trust you are like, hey, like, what were you feeling when you skipped that meal? Like, why'd you do that one? Yeah. So I think it's a lot of it's like gut checks along the way too. Like the times where you're like, oh, I didn't want to dig into that, but now that we're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, weird. I'm having deja vu. It's almost like you were the one who called me out in almost every single group. <laughs> weird. Why am I feeling that way? <laughs> I don't know. I think for me, like I, I, I try to take a perspective of like, I'm not here to, I'm not here to like play games. Like, Get I mean, it's, and... yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we're all here to get better. Mm-hmm. I think if you're, no one's there to hang out, no one's in intensive eating disorder treatment (laughs) for kicks and giggles (laughs) yeah and so i think just like and and i think it helps me too is when i'm that honest externally people i start to become that honest internally and like i've never i tried to communicate it very well there like i'm never like calling people out on things that like i haven't struggled with or like i'm never like trying to like do that like when i'm like hey like why'd you skip a meal it's because like the other time when i skipped a meal i had to dig into like why i was doing that yeah or like when people are like avoiding feelings it's because i avoid feelings you know like it's i knew it because i struggled with it and i could just communicate that struggle yeah no i think that's so true that like being open externally is only gonna help you to be more open internally and honest and kind of turn around and ask yourself those same questions if you're like hey so-and-so well why did you skip that meal you can turn around and be like oh why did I skip that meal? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's also, it also starts to remove the fear. Yeah. Because I think when we stay quiet and in our heads, there's so much fear that builds up versus like even like stuff like this or like in treatment when you like talk to your therapist more or in life when you talk to someone more. Like you hit that point of like, I'm just practicing being uncomfortable. Yeah. So and true. suddenly instead of being like scared to like talk about it you're like oh like no like i had five conversations in the past week about this like what's the sixth yeah very true oh wow i probably needed to hear that <laughs> <laughs> so we thanks. all do and i mean i'm still i'm still doing it too i i think i'm doing it less with some eating disorder stuff right now but like mm-hmm. i'm still doing it with reaching out to people i'm still doing it with like hanging out with people like I'm still I get that discomfort and I think I just like don't get it anymore or not as much with like eating disorder stuff and I mean I still do like I wanted a snack last night late and that's still like kind of like a triggering process for me because that's when I used to binge and purge Mm -hmm. and so like I think they're still there I think just like so much of the process is like accepting the discomfort um and as soon as like I think they always described it. I always understood it as like you get into this comfortable little circle and you're just in your little loop. And I mean, like you can acknowledge that it's bad, like especially as you start going through treatment. You're like, yeah, it's not, probably not the best, but like breaking mm-hmm. free is going to be scary. And then there gets this point where you're like, I, I cannot stand where I'm at. Or like, you know, like you need to move from where you're at. And it's just kind of that comfort and like, not comfort, that's the wrong word there's the comfort in the like the circle of what you're used to there's the comfort in the habits mm-hmm. there's the comfort in like that and there's so much discomfort in breaking free and not knowing where you're going yeah um and that's what a ton of the support teams there to help you with too right yeah definitely um you mentioned specifically like late at night binging and purging um can you go a little bit more into what that experience is like for you yeah um I guess all this <laughs> presides with a trigger warning of eating disorder habits and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
but I, uh, for me, what it was like was honestly, like I would get, well, I would feel what I didn't know at the time was I was likely restricting throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So that's what was highlighted to the habits of binging and purging tend to start with like, you restrict, you restrict, and suddenly you want everything. Yeah. Um, which I didn't know I was restricting. Um, I just thought I was binging at night. Um, just binging. Um, so what would happen was I would get hungry at night and then I would wait till like I, w- I was the only one up in the house or I knew it was quiet and I would like go get a ton of food and then go in my room and eat and then be overly full, um, to put it kindly. I, I, I would finish whatever I had, whether it was like a big bag of chips, whether it was like a ton of leftover food, like I would just eat and eat and eat until I couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. And then um, I would purge and I was um, very classic purger for anyone in the eating disorder world. Um, you know what that is. Yeah. Um, I wasn't I wasn't like exercising to purge. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do like pushups. Or I'm going to run. I wasn't like doing any of the I would just go throw up what I had just eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, for the longest time, like I just didn't feel the pain of throwing up. Like I just felt the relief of like. I just ate a ton of food, I feel awful, I threw up, I feel better, mm-hmm. which is, to anyone not in the eating disorder world, and even to me now, that sounds ridiculous, um, when you're there, though, it's that, like, satisfaction and relief, like, it's, you're like, haha, I got, like, you get all the satisfaction of eating a ton of food, or you get all the, like, adrenaline, or you get all the, yeah. like, the, whatever the chemical release is for you, or whatever the release is for you, and then you get it with, your eating disorder head is suddenly like, oh, like, I feel guilty, like, let me remove that guilt from myself. Um, which, like, to anyone listening, it, it doesn't remove what you're doing to your body and arguably makes it worse mm-hmm. um, repeatedly purging and throwing up. Um, and then now I think um, I I had, like, two episodes of binging and purging after I started treatment, um, and each time they began feeling worse and worse. Like, it wasn't like... Like, before, it used to be, like, this late-night relief. It used to be, like, I would feel good. Like, it used to be this. And then, like, after I started treatment, the first time I was, like, oh, like, oh shoot. Like, I have to tell Sierra. Like, I have to tell my therapist about this. I have to tell the dietitian. I'm going to talk to everyone about this. And I didn't want to do that. And also, I felt horrible the next day. Like, it felt like, I don't know. I've never been a drinker. I don't know what it's like. But, like, I, I had what I'll call, like, a purging hangover. <laughs> like, I just, mm-hmm. I woke up and my stomach hurt and, like, the muscles I had to contract to throw up hurt, like, my body hated it, and so the next time it happened, it was even worse, and then it just hasn't happened since, mm-hmm. like, it's just not the enjoyment of the process, which, once again, if you haven't had an eating disorder, the, <laughs> the thought of enjoying it sounds horrible, um, right. but the satisfaction, the enjoyment, the relief, whatever it provided when I was really deep in my disorder wasn't there anymore. Yeah. I think the word choice of release is so interesting because you, while you're in the behavior, well, I can say, not to say you and project, I mean, I know this is a pretty common feeling that... Oh, general you, you're good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You're engaging in the behavior and you feel that release and you really do think that you've released all of that, you know, anxiety or all of the feelings that you're trying to numb out or like, um, you do get that kind of chemical response like adrenaline or just relief in some way and I think it's interesting that we use that word to I guess kind of describe that feeling when in reality 
everything we're feeling is actually still just stuck in there and nothing was released at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely an interesting point and something that I haven't put together. If like you are, you aren't releasing what you actually need to release. And mm-hmm. I think release, I think it's even, I think it's honor. I think for what needs to happen is more like honoring feeling or like feeling, feeling, um, which is very hard to describe when you're in the front end of eating disorder treatments or the front end of eating disorder life of being like, no, like I am feeling everything. No, you're not. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You're feeling nothing. Yeah. Yeah. They can always tell just by like looking at us too. We're like, oh yeah, we're good. And they're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, I want to, that's why you got dizzy when you stood up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, I want to dive a little bit more into kind of like the refeeding process. Um, because I think just for anyone starting their recovery journey, I think it's really important to point out, like when you said that you started to engage, you had two experiences where you engaged in, uh, pretty severe behaviors and, um, you immediately felt like the repercussions afterwards. And I think it's so interesting how that goes hand in hand with the refeeding process and everything that comes with it. Um, So, yeah. Do you have anything you want to share about that? Yeah. um, I think the first thing, vulnerably, I held a lot of resentment towards the dietitian when I got my meal plan. Um, (laughs) And I joked joked about it with everyone that came in and and everyone knew that came in like later through treatment is like, yeah, you're going to hate the dietitian when you see what you have to do. because we all have eating disorders um and so honestly for the first few weeks it was just i struggled to eat that much food like it felt really overwhelming it felt like it literally felt like i was eating all day Mm -hmm. um and which like logically i know i wasn't that's what it felt like though and it's it's a fight it's a battle when you start out um and continue and then slowly what you start to notice is depending on who who you are what you struggled with it's not uncommon to like start to enjoy everything because you've restricted yourself or like been mad at yourself for so long you're like no like the dietitian is saying this this is good like let me get my bread right now like let me put butter on my bread let me do whatever it is for you like you start to enjoy it and then then depending on how you start i'll just talk from my own personal experience i held like in the beginning i held a lot of tension with like portioning because like I saw like the measurements on the sheet and I was like oh like let me weigh out my protein let me mm-hmm. make sure I'm doing this and when I talked to the dietitian she was like yeah that's still really disordered if you can stop doing that that'd be good yeah. um and then suddenly you just I think a lot of it's just blindness like just scariness and unknown because you're like what if I'm proportioning wrong what if I'm eating too much and like that's still disordered behavior and that's still disordered thinking and you slowly like learn to trust that and then you start to feel your body it's really slow you start to feel your body feel better though like you start to i I had struggled with short-term memory Mm -hmm. um and slowly that got better i struggled with probably yeah definitely struggled with like energy and like motivation and stuff like that and like through the process you just kind of like start to feel fueled um yeah and then what's what everyone what kind of is like a hallmark of the refeeding process is when you um, get to the point where like you start waking up sweaty. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
Um, cause it, it, what it is, it's your body's undergoing, my understanding of it is your body's undergoing a lot of chemical reactions with the nutrients you haven't been giving it for so long. Mm-hmm. So suddenly like your body's just an overdrive, like we have everything we need yeah. and then it's doing all the reactions and making everything work. Um, so it's really scary. It's, I've seen, I've gone through it. I've seen plenty of people go through it. You're scared and there's a lot of blind trust, which is terrifying, especially with food. Um, and you just kind of feel like you're doing too much because you're not used to it. And then what you learn is that like, you're not doing too much. And then you start to see like how badly you were treating your body before. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, I think that's my experience with the refeeding process. Yeah, I definitely relate to, oh, I just woke up and I'm soaking with my own sweat, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Did Uh, I pee my bed? No, sweat. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, ooh, we should probably do my sheets. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like, I mean, I know definitely a lot of people at MANA, we all have interesting sense of humors. Um, and <laughs> For I, anyone listening, that's a translation to, we make really messed up jokes to deal with how we're feeling. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, and so, uh, oh, wait, what was I going to say? Oh, I think with the refeeding process, it is... I mean, in my experience, one of the darkest parts of my treatment process and my recovery process because of, you know, the emotional and physical pain um, that comes with it and like side effects and realizing, oh, you know, I have to eat every day for the rest of my life if I want to be alive, you know? Um, Well, there's also, I think you you said it quickly, I I don't think I didn't highlight it well, there's physical pain that comes with it, like mm. your stomach hurts, like you're upset, you're frustrated, like your body's not used to it, like you're pushing the limits of your stomach because your stomach's gotten used to being starved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much science behind it of, you know, your digestion slows down, obviously. Oh, your body starts eating itself? Yeah. (laughs) Good times. (laughs) Good times, you know. Obviously, it's specific to each eating disorder, of course. Like with purging, you also got to include esophagus and all that stuff that can have major damage. Um, And, of course, restriction, restriction, binging. uh, I think they're not talked about, but like the – I can never remember the name of them, but the exercise-based ones um, can be really damaging too, um, Mm -hmm. especially for females because I believe females experience bone loss bone density loss a lot more severely than males um so anything where like you're damaging the nutrients in your body and then also hyper exercising mind you damaging the nutrients in your body is bad enough like that's not yeah with the behaviors it's interesting that uh with purging it could be either you know through vomiting or it could be through laxatives or like you said exercising um so like it's just you can't really escape damage with an eating disorder and there's there's definitely the comorbidities of um eating disorders too like depression anxiety ocd so much comes with it Mm -hmm. um and i think there's also a bit less talked about um the self-harm aspect of eating disorders whether it's not always blade to arm um Mm -hmm trigger warning there i don't know um no worries i'll put it all at the beginning so yeah, good. <laughs> um, it's not always it's not always very intentional self harm, but like there's the like I don't care about my body, I don't yeah. care if I harm myself, I don't care, like I don't, and then there's suddenly like you're just doing evil to the 
your body which you hate um and like i noticed it when i used to skateboard like i would go there and i wouldn't worry about like falling i wouldn't worry about like pushing mm-hmm. myself too far i wouldn't worry about like getting hurt i'd be like i'm gonna throw myself off this thing i'm gonna do this like what what do i care like i'm just gonna go get beat up for an hour yeah um versus now like <laughs> it sounds funny but like uh, the words joyful movement are always used in treatment instead mm-hmm. of exercise because like so many of us have or would abuse exercise so like joyful movement and like experiencing that skateboarding again and being like i've only skateboarded for 30 minutes today and i'm beat and i'm just gonna hurt myself if i keep going Mm -hmm. and then like i want to be able to skateboard next week i want to be able to skateboard today i want to be able to skateboard tomorrow like doing everything to do it the next day is so foreign when you're used to eating disorders because you're like how can i beat myself up today yeah definitely and I think you made a really good point about like the physical self-harm whether like you said it's what people usually typically imagine which is like that late darn like experience or um through your eating disorder harming yourself it's interesting though with pain and eating disorders how that is can be very numbed out definitely and i think for me it was a bit of a different experience um uh, for anyone listening, I was a self-harmer, so this is that's my background in this. Um, I think for me what it was is, like, I would feel so many overwhelming emotions, and the pain could... I, I thought of it as centering me. Um, I think what it really was was numbing out the feelings. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think I was, like, I think... I don't think I understood how extreme the pain was, but, like, I was definitely seeking out the pain. Like, I don't think I was necessarily numb to the pain. I think the pain numbed everything else. Yes. Yeah, I can really relate to that. Was that the first behavior you think for you? Um, I I don't think it's the first eating disorder behavior. Um, I can kind of track that down to like elementary school, middle school, like hyper worried about what I'm eating, worried about like eating from other people, mm-hmm. like very. I'll say like a bit milder symptoms, which is they're honestly the they are the symptoms. I just it took me literally binging and purging multiple times in a day to be like oh i have an eating disorder mm-hmm. um but i'll say kind of like the more disordered eating end of the spectrum like worried about what you're eating worried about what other people are saying what you're eating being frustrated by that um i think the self-harm came came a lot later when i was much deeper into everything mm-hmm. and needed a serious outlet yeah yeah i think that whole centering um way to describe it is quite accurate um or at least for my experience as well um what were we talking about just before that beats me <laughs> okay um oh oh the physical pain part um yeah oh yeah yeah oh yeah um, i mean i think i think to your credit like you certainly do become numb to some of the physical pain like i right. threw up so much that like i wasn't aware of how hurtful it is mm-hmm. and like every time like i've like i've gotten sick since i've left treatment like just like you know as you do as a human like your body will reject certain things just right. because it's not good for it or whatever will happen which is a different alleyway of needing to throw up after you've been a purger for so long is terrifying. Um, yeah. And like understanding that your body does that sometimes or like that you're allowed to get sick is so scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the hallmark of, at least for me, like what I tell myself is like, I'm not looking forward to this anymore. Like, I'm like, I don't want to do this. It's so tiring. It's so, it hurts. It sucks. Uh, anywho. Um, but like it hurt like i said like it hurts and when you're used to purging it doesn't hurt it just is life versus like when you've stopped for a long time suddenly you're like this sucks i don't want to do this i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna take however long it takes like i'm just gonna 
hurt now. My stomach's going to hurt. My muscles around my stomach are going to hurt. I'm going to have acid reflux. Like, I'm mm. just going to suck. Yeah. Acid reflux. Oh. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, hate luckily, it. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, luckily for me, I wasn't I wasn't deep enough in the purging behavior um, to do a ton. I don't think I've done really heavy damage to my esophagus mm. and stomach tract. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am susceptible to acid reflux, whether that's genetically or because of eating disorder. It mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as um, where you are goes, um, like with your re- with your recovery process and you know being in outpatient and all that stuff with Mana, what is your opinion on like being recovered? Do you think that? oh yeah, like I'm recovered or I'm still recovering or one day I will be fully recovered or, um, you know, every day is a choice for recovery. There are lots of opinions on that, um, especially within the eating disorder community. I know outside of it, if you've never experienced an eating disorder, it's easy to picture it like, oh, you're in it and now you're not, so you're recovered. Um, so what yeah. what is your opinion on that? Yeah, um, I think I land somewhere between like, one day I'll be fully recovered and the kind of the addiction perspective of like, uh, I'm recovering every day. Um, I think for me, I like the thought of like knowing that like one day I will call myself recovered because, mm-hmm. um, because to me, like saying that I'm ongoing recovering every single day, I, it feels like I'm not honoring what I have been doing or what I'm working at. Um, yeah. so I don't, candidly it's a gray area for me i'm not like in a place where i'm like i'm recovered right now um i'm certainly much more closer to that than i have ever been mm-hmm. <laughs> but like i think for me like it's like one day i do plan to say that like i'm recovered and also that what comes with that for me is saying also like yes i'm recovered the way i'm wired though is that like i'm still like i choose to not like relapse i choose yeah. not to act on behaviors i choose to like honor that like there's still days now where i'm like oh like i can't eat that and i'm like that no i can't like that's like i don't have to like I, it happened the other day i was like it was like probably like six and i was like oh i want some chocolate right now and my head was like but if you have it now you can't have it later and i was like first mm. of all i can second of all i can just eat it now and if i'm not hungry later i don't have to it was just it was just very funny to me of like my head was like oh yeah, if you do this now, you can't do this. And I was like, hello, disordered thought. Right, yeah. (laughs) And so I think it's like, I I think I do, I think I will reach a point where I say I'm recovered. I think there will be a point at some point, I I don't know when it's going to be, where I'm like, hey, like, I'm recovered from this. And also what's going to come with that is, yes, I'm recovered. And I'm still, like, I still have to deal with thoughts. I still have to deal with, like, the tendencies. Like, I, I, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll be, like, actively, like, recovering then I think it'll just be more like hey like I understand where I'm at and I don't have to let this thought bother me I don't have to worry about this or like I can honor this or I can feel this yes yeah I think one definitely reaches a point in their recovery process where because like at the beginning you know you might be engaging in behavior still then you reach a point where you're kind of on that like seesaw of like oh sometimes I do sometimes I don't I think for me it transformed to like it wasn't like oh like I'm gonna like recover or relapse I think it transformed to like how do I want to feel today yeah like is skipping this meal like really gonna help me feel good or am I gonna be lethargic for the next three hours Mm -hmm. and then just eat anyways Mm -hmm. or like am I gonna like 
like I think that's what it came down to for me. Like I was like I started noticing like that my best life tended to be following what treatment said was good, what the therapist said was good, what like right. and suddenly you just like you're not for me it wasn't choosing relapse or recovery, it wasn't choosing this or that, it was choosing to feel good. Mm, yeah. Um <laughs> I remember kind of figuring that out and being so pissed. <laughs> have my treatment team being like oh so you were right all right gonna be pissed about it for a couple weeks just let me be um you're like i know what you said is right and i hear that it upsets everything i've done for the past three years yes yeah yeah and i think you also touched on a really good point about when you get to a certain part of your recovery process where you have a thought come up and you're like well hello eating disorder thought um actually (laughs) um and I think it's interesting kind of what is that thought diffusion where you just kind of like I'm gonna be real I never never fully grasped some of those concepts people (laughs) just use the words and I never fully understood um (laughs) I I think what it is for me I always thought of it as like your brain's allowed to fire off thoughts and you're allowed Mm -hmm. to be like that's just a thought firing off like it doesn't have to be which is something I'm still struggling with. Of like thoughts can come in and out, and it necessarily wasn't like that something was rooted in it or something was there. Like it happens. Yeah. And so I think for me, it might be thought diffusion. That doesn't sound wrong. <laughs> um, I think it's just kind of like acknowledging that thoughts can happen and being like, thought happened. I don't have to sit here and obsess about thought. Yeah, and I think it seems pretty like oh yeah duh like when you kind of think about it for especially like people who haven't necessarily struggled with an eating disorder but like when you're in it it's oh i have the thought okay now i'm gonna act on it whereas you get to this point where you're like oh i have a thought well first of all not every thought i have is actually mine never not every thought i have is actually true and just because i have it doesn't mean there has to be an action following it like it can just come and it can go yeah, you know? and I think I, speaking a bit to my perspective, um, mm-hmm. I had I I also have OCD, which um, intrusive thoughts, which is what we're kind of talking about here of like thoughts coming in out of yeah. your volition, out of your control. With OCD, that becomes there's also the added layer of like let me like obsess on this thought, let me like rum- mm-hmm. ruminate on this thought, let me deal with that. And so I think that was another aspect of that. Like it wasn't necessarily like. It, to your point now like it's a bit less of like oh thought let me do an action Mm -hmm. some of it is though like thought like where did that thought come from i'm scared of relapsing like am i about to relapse like where is that originating from and then there's this rumination and obsession and there's actually a point where i struggled with it towards uh, more recently like in the past month of like i was struggling to listen to my body when it was full because I knew that restriction was so bad that I just, like, didn't want to listen to my body being full. I was like, if I eat, I'll be fine. Mm. Which, like, isn't true. It was like, it, there's going to be days where, like, my body's like, hey, like, breakfast is going to be toast. Breakfast is just going to be oatmeal and fruit. And, like, learning to not be scared of that, it was really hard, too. And mm. still is hard. Yeah. Do you, like, I kind of want to wrap up with a couple of, um, couple more questions do you think, I mean, obviously the eating disorder voice comes up with anything and everything under the sun to give you a reason to engage in a behavior. Do you feel personally um, that there was one specific thought that t- tends to linger or tends to repeat itself or come up a lot for you? Yeah, I think, um, uh, 
not challenging me in the current moment here. Um, no, I, I think it's still happening. Of like, I think I will um, feel like big in my body or like larger in my body um, or like not comfortable in like showing my body or like feeling like that feeling so inherently vulnerable. And I, I know it's a vulnerable thing for everyone to like be at the beach or like mm-hmm. have shorts on. Like that is an aspect of vulnerability. I think for those of us with eating disorders, it's so heightened. And so I think that's probably something that like will continue on and off for a while and maybe forever of like, I will like have some dysmorphic tendencies of like, I don't fully understand what my body looks like or I'm still learning to feel my body. Mm-hmm. So I think that answers your yeah. question. Yeah, for sure. And like, especially I agree with summer coming up. How do you feel sure. about, <laughs> about uh, that? Yeah. Um, honestly, scared. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think it's, it's happened for forever. I remember since like elementary school and it was more of a, like, I want to hide myself and less of, I want to hide my body. But like, I wanted to wear sweatshirts until like, I literally couldn't in the heat. Like I wanted to, the transition from pant to short weather still is like, ah, um, so I think it's, a little nerve-wracking and I think a lot of it is like I need to I'm learning to like lean into like the people close to me in my support system or like my girlfriend who's like happy to see me no matter what I look like or like Mm -hmm. like people aren't as wrapped up in me as I'm wrapped up in me um and nine times out of ten the people whose opinion not even nine times ten times out of ten the people (laughs) whose opinion I care about just want the best for me and want me to feel good they're not sitting there like oh, this or this, or, like, you look like this, or, like, what are you doing here, or, like, or, like, we can see scars on your arm, or, like, we can, like, see stretch marks, like, no one's sitting there like that, like, even if, even if anyone is concerned about my size, it's not because people are concerned about my size, it's because people are concerned about, am I feeling okay? Because, mm. like, that, that actually, that happened to me, of, like, my mom and my girlfriend brought it up, of, like, I had... This is still kind of, this is a little iffy as far as distorted things go, um, or it's still a lot for me to process, but, like, they were, like, I'd rapidly gain weight, and, like, they just wanted me to check in with my team and make sure I was doing well, and they're, like, both of them were, like, hey, like, we could give a flying whatever about what the number on the scale is, like, we don't care about that, we just want to make sure that, like, you're doing right by yourself, and, like, what, and that was when I realized that, like, I wasn't allowing myself to feel full, mm. mm-hmm. and so it, it was and which everyone take that with a grain of salt there. Like that's my experience. Um, yeah. I would guess that 95% of eating disorder experiences may not go there. Um, but it's understanding and feeling that like everyone wants just the best for you. And if they don't want the best for you, they don't need to be in your close system of support. Right. And I think that's so true too about thinking oh, what does is, what is so-and-so think about how I look? What does so-and-so think about my scars or my stretch marks and stuff? And I think it's a pretty common thought that people with eating disorders are very consumed about what other people yeah. are thinking of us or what they, their opinion is. And I think that part of that is true, um, you know, yeah. based on experience and, you know, your personal thoughts and your experience with your eating disorder. And it's also very wrapped up, like, stuck in our brains. You know, yeah. we're like very we're unaware of ourselves while being hyper aware of ourselves (laughs) you know what I mean we're unaware of the good yes yeah and I think and I think something else to kind of that's worth voicing and I want to put out the flip side of the coin is 
when you have people you're really close to that really feel for you or care for you or like when you fall in love with someone or when like someone falls in love with you or like you guys fall in love together in my experience they and you will love every inch of each other mm-hmm. like you it's not you someone's gonna love your stretch marks someone's gonna love your scars someone's gonna love the way your arms look the way your legs look it, and so much of that is just driven by who you are and not what you look like. Yeah. And so just like, and it's so scary to lean into like who you are instead of like what I look like. Cause you can't control who you are. Yes. Realistically, you can't control what you look like. That's more disordered. Um, mm. But like having yourself out there is terrifying, is still terrifying to me. And also when someone loves who you are, what you look like doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. If at all. Yeah. Yeah. That oddly reminds me of um, a quote that one of my teachers said to me in acting school, which is interesting. It always stuck with me, and I didn't know why until treatment. Um, But he, with, like, acting and stuff, he always said, you can't change who you are, so, like, learn to fall in love with yourself. Um, And I think, I mean, that's that's really true. I mean, your body is going to change regardless throughout your lifetime. We all know that. Yeah. And, you know, your thoughts and opinions will change the more you learn and the more you experience and stuff. And all that is natural, but it's like falling falling in love with your changing self or your evolving self, yep. you know? Um, it's really hard. And it's also a funny thought that I just had. Tell any disordered person who's deep in it that <laughs> the goal in life is to get old and wrinkly and... <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of like have your body like start falling apart, and every disordered person's like, ah, mm. right, yeah. You're like, ah, and I think it's just like as when you're able to frame everything as like, hey, like this isn't about what I look like in this exact moment. Like, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. How do I? How can I be me? How can I be myself? How can even more challenging? How can I be me because everyone loves it when I'm me? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and it's so true and and if and if people you're around don't love it when you're you don't be around those people yeah yeah or don't let them into your close circle of trust we can't always control who we have to be around very true you don't have to take weight from their opinion though if someone's not like if you feel like you're being your true you which is a completely different thing have people close to you who can tell you when you're not being your true you yep um (laughs) but when you're really truly you and putting yourself out there if people aren't clicking with that or people are upset at that those people don't need to be honored by your thoughts or honored by your space and time. Yeah. Do you feel like at all, I mean, with your personal experience, do you think you've almost had to kind of learn who you are in the recovery oh, process? I am still learning who I am. I think I'm always going to be learning who I am. I mm-hmm. think the recovery process for me was owning who I am and then letting who I am out into yes. the world, um, which the latter occurred probably a couple months after I was out of inpatient, um, intensive outpatient, whatever it's called. I, I, once mm-hmm. I was outside of the treatment cycle, mm-hmm. it literally took my girlfriend sitting me down one day and being like, Hey, you're like caging yourself up. And I like, was like, Oh, I am. Cause I had like recovered this amazing part of myself. I recovered this part of myself that I was really proud of. I had like found this part of myself that like I loved yeah. and I just didn't want to let it out into the world or it could get hurt. Mm, yeah. Definitely. I've, I definitely um, have 
still experiencing. I agree. I'm still learning. Amen. <laughs> Who the hell I am. Um, but I think it's almost interesting and it obviously makes it adds to this fear effect of you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know people. And I think eating disorders are very internalized and you feel trapped in your brain. And when you start to break out of that, I feel like it can feel overwhelming of, oh, people are going to see me. They are going to acknowledge me. Are they going to like me? And especially if you are still struggling to even like yourself, you know, it's easy to project that on other people. And then like, um, like, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, of like people who are already in your life too. If they've only known the sick you, it can feel very scary to almost, you're almost like reintroducing yourself as the Mm -hmm. real you, not only to yourself, um, and to your family, but to your friends and everyone who's already been in your life. Do you feel that that you've had that? Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, it's that thought of like, uh, what if they only like sick me? What if they don't Mm, like who I'm going to be? And I struggle with that thought and what I've learned to try and do and what I'm still learning to do is be like if they love sick me like sick me isn't different me sick Mm -hmm. me isn't like I'm not here it's not a and b it's not like there was sick me on top of core me is how I always like thought how I've come to think about it it was like and if someone loves sick me they're gonna be blown away by me me yeah very true because I think it's because I don't think I don't think we're like completely different people in treatment like i think obviously there's completely different aspects of ourselves i don't think like we're wildly different people though i think Mm -hmm. we're wildly muted people i think we're people who haven't let ourselves be ourselves i don't think like you're gonna go into treatment though and like change your entire personality and i mean and i think if that does happen then i think that was as long as you're comfortable in who you are then that was what was meant to happen like i don't I, i i don't i don't think i ran into anyone who became wildly different people in treatment Right. I think you get to just see people become more than, I don't know, it's as simple as thinking, like, you love your dog when it's asleep, you love your pet when it's asleep, then when you wake up, you smile even more. When they wake up, they, you smile even more, you know, mm. like... I love that. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not like, I, I don't think it's like anyone's different. I don't yeah. think, like, I think you get rid of some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're getting rid of yourself, though. I don't think you're making a new you. Yeah. I think you're just letting you come out more. Definitely. And I like that idea too of, oh, the sick me just on top of the real me. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's also like a a thought trap that you're susceptible in, in treatment of like, oh, this isn't real life. Mm -hmm. Like when I get back to real life and like, it was a huge moment for me to be like, oh shoot. No, 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 no. I'm not like pausing life. I'm not like not in real life. Like real life is treatment right now. And I don't want real life to be treatment forever. So let's work. Let's get better. Yeah. I run into that a lot of like real life or just like getting back to life and I constantly have to remind myself well I mean my sick life was real life I mean obviously it happened and I experienced it um but I don't want to experience that anymore (laughs) like life is just going to continue it's just going to look different it's not you know necessarily a new life although metaphorically you could say that Um, yeah and, and I think it's and I think what it boils down to is what works for you yes yeah i think if i think if someone like is like hey like i was so deep in my disorder i do want to think of it as a and b yes oh you if that's if that's what you truly feel and that's what you feel deep in yourself and that's what you feel is gonna help you recover then by all means become a new person yeah um i think if 
that becomes a stumbling block, then like look into I'm becoming myself, but it's not different. Mm-hmm. I think it's just I think everything is going to work differently for everyone, and it's just like learning what works for you. Yeah, yeah, and I think and like I go ahead. Oh no no, go ahead and finish. I was gonna say, and I think that's the same thing with everything we've said here. Take what's gonna work for you. Mm-hmm. Take what's gonna help you become you. Yeah. Whatever you is, take it. Take it and run. You don't have to. We're two people talking from our experience. You don't have to. <laughs> we're not preaching the truth for everyone. We're saying yeah. what what's true for us. Yeah. And I think that that's also what's so wonderful about the treatment process with eating disorders is, it's that uh, intuitive eating, trusting your body. Um, yeah. learning that your body does know what's best and that it's trying to take care of you and keep you alive. It's not the enemy. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I think I should say food itself is the universal, like kind of you're healing that relationship with it, whether it was yeah. you're eating yeah. it, um, in a specific way, you know what I mean? Getting that intuitive eating, practicing it, learning how to listen yeah. to your body and trust it. But then everything else after that is like, it's so unique, you know. It's yeah, it's and very I think specific. that's even the, even the eating is so unique because like yeah. I think like the core of it is like listen to your body, and I think that mm-hmm. can be said true for everything past the eating too. Listen to yourself and know yourself. Yeah. Um, but like even the eating, like if if your eating habit intuitively becomes like, hey, like I have eight snacks a day, and that's what works for me. Mm-hmm okay if your body one day is like i've run into my body is like i'm not hungry till 11 and then i want some oatmeal and then i'm not going to be hungry till three mm-hmm. like if you've been on a meal plan and like you experience that like you want to scream yeah and then it's just like trusting your body and being like hey like it's okay if i don't eat as much today there's always going to be food around yeah what's not okay is not honoring that and being like i'm very hungry and i'm not going to eat right but like when your body's just full it's full yeah which is scary and hard, and I'm still learning. Yeah, same, yeah. I mean, our dietitian has even said to me, too, that, like, as of right now, yeah, we have to follow the meal plan and eat the certain amount of times every day and stick with that. And she's like, but you're not – I mean, the goal is to not be on a meal plan forever. Yeah, <laughs> and, and a huge part of that, too, is <laughs> there comes a point where the meal plan becomes a disordered thing, too, that ooh, you want to cling to, which is, which is wild. <laughs> Which is, like, and it happened to me of, like, Same. I was like, oh, what if I'm not feeling the meal plan? Like, I'm feeling, like, full. And Aaron, the dietitian, was like, hey, your body is, you've refed. Like, you're not going to need as much food all the time. You're not going to need this. Like, it, mm-hmm. just listen. Don't worry about Don't worry about your two proteins, your two your carbs, whatever it was. Just eat. Yeah. And I was like, mm, You were like, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I want to close out with one last thing. Do you think you, I mean, this is going to be a broad question, so it might be difficult to answer, but um, obviously there are many, many really important things that you have taken from the treatment process and therapy and everything in between A to Z. Um, Can you uh, just kind of focus on one real quick and close out with one of the most important and beneficial things that have really stuck with you throughout the treatment process and especially today and where you are yeah um i think the biggest thing is just that comes to my mind is the phrase i'm worth it Mm -hmm. um i think you can also say you're worth it i wanted to say i'm to challenge myself to say that out loud um yeah 
I'm worth it, you're worth it, because that disseminates into so much. That disseminates into, hey, like, I'm actually going to go see a therapist because I'm worth it, and I'm worth, like, taking that time for myself. Like, I'm going to, like, work on recovery because I'm worth it. I'm going to eat because I'm worth making it to tomorrow. And I think just, like, owning that you have value and then trusting that and literally, like, feeling like you can scream that from the rooftops. And um, I'll let you know when I get to the point where I'm screaming it from the rooftops. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I think so much of it is just like I'm worth it like I'm worth this opportunity at a job I'm worth this like time with my girlfriend I'm worth this time with my family I'm worth like recovering Mm -hmm. just like owning that is super hard yeah and super worth it definitely I agree oh I like that as the closer that was so nice (laughs) yes cool well thank you so much for being comfortable in the uncomfortable and being vulnerable and um sharing a little bit with us um i really appreciate it yeah and if anyone my last two senses yeah if you're curious or have questions find people reach out talk anyone in the disordered community or mental health community tends to be really open to questions and Mm -hmm. i would say it's so much easier to just ask than to worry about on your own yeah, very true. Curiosity, I think, is a huge part of recovery, for sure. It's a huge part of life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Don't even get me started. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, well, thanks. I appreciate you talking and taking the time and starting yeah. all this. And I'm, I think I've said it before. I'm worth saying again. I'm excited to see where it goes. Me too. Me too. Thank you. You're welcome.